Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The Rookie is a free serialized audiobook meant for mature audiences. Written and performed by number one New York Times bestselling novelist, Scott Sigler. For links to order a young adult version of this book without all the cussing, in print, ebook, or audiobook, visit scottsigler.com slash the rookie one word. This podcast contains mature situations, adult language, and lots and lots of violence. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, junkies! How is your pimptastic face? I bet it's full of pimpage. In fact, I know. It's full of pimpage. Do me a solid. Do me a solid. Give me your attention for just a moment. Take a minute and think of all the good shit that happened to you this week. I know some bad shit happened, but you know some good shit happened. Think about it. Say it out loud. Say it proud and revel in what went right. In fact, say it like into your hand. Then take that good stuff and smoosh it all about your face and neck and torso. Just smoosh it around. Don't be ashamed. It's not weird at all. What went right for me, you may ask? Bitches, I am 75% through the final draft of Shakedown Book 1 of the Crip series. I've been banging away at this sucker for so long. I swear, when I finish this book, I'm going to crawl into a barrel of scotch and ingest it through every orifice of my body until I am finally aged and smell of charred oak. My new workflow for writing continues to pay off big time. I'm focused on keeping up this particular workflow until Shakedown is done. Then I'll take a look around and see if I can apply this new awesome workflow to what comes next. Speaking of what comes next, on December 11th, 2022, I will start a new serialized fiction podcast that harkens way back to the Earthcore days because you won't be able to get the story anywhere else. You will have to tune in each week, dear listener. Or, you know, just ignore my fat ass until the story's done and you can binge it. But I hope that you will be along with me for the ride because turning people into strung out junkies is a goddamn good time for me. Let's get you caught up on The Rookie and then we're all gonna go get our first hit for free. Previously on The Rookie. INF linebacker Jew Tweedy prepares to square off against his brother Jew as the Krakens face rival OS1 orbiting death. It's a must-win game for INF, but starting quarterback Don Pine is under the thumb of gangsters who want him to throw the game. What can Quentin Barnes do to set his team up for a win? Find out next on The Rookie, episode number 20. The bug ships were nowhere to be seen. There wouldn't have been any room for them anyway. The ace hole had been transformed into a living sea of flat black clothing, flat black banners, and flat black flags, 
surrounded by the shimmering beauty of ice-like blue crystal with a playing field of pitch black grass. The residents of Orbital Station 2 didn't call the stadium the Ace Hole. They called it the Black Hole. Four decks of seating provided a capacity of 132,000. Attendance for this game stood at 133,412. The crowd roared and surged and whistled and chirped as the Krakens gathered in the tunnel. Battle scent rolled through the orange and white and black-clad warriors. Another week, another war. This war, they would win. This war, they had to win. This is our chance to make up for lost time! Pine called out to the team in his ringing tone of command. This is our chance to get back in the hunt! The team let out primitive barks of agreement. Yet the veterans' words held little sway over Quentin, because he wanted to know just one thing. Was the fix in for this game? Beings of all races, welcome the visiting team, the INF Krakens! The Krakens swarmed onto the field. Yet as soon as they did, a sound hit Quentin's ears like a thunderbolt. Or rather, a lack of sound. The black hole instantly lived up to its name as over 133,412 fans fell stone silent. There were a few thin cheers from the Kraken's faithful, but even those sounds quickly ended, as if the fans felt suddenly self-conscious about making noise in the midst of funeral-like quiet. The transition from cacophony to total silence made Quentin stop in his tracks. The players behind him nearly ran him over. Regaining his wits, he jogged to the sidelines with his teammates. Quentin looked across the silent fans, head whipping from one side then to the next. His brain could barely process the phenomenon. He walked up to Itzak. What the hell is this about? Oh, the silent treatment? That's what the death fans do for every home game. Kinda cool, isn't it? Quentin nodded absently. Yeah, kinda cool. Well, it doesn't last very long, so get ready for... Itzhak's words were cut off by an instant and all-encompassing roar from over 133,000 beings, a roar so abrupt and total it felt like a physical blow. The orbiting death players took the field, resplendent in their flat black uniforms with the metal flake red numbers and blue trim. Stadium lights gleamed off their metal flake red helmets, each decorated with a flat black circle. Wow, that's pretty impressive. Itzhak nodded. Yeah, they really put on a show, but it's all a head game. And they've got over 100,000 fans playing along perfectly with this script. Yeah, yeah, just a head game. Quentin hoped Itzhak didn't see that the head game had registered an impact. The roar to silence to roar had definitely unnerved him. For just one second, he was happy that Pine would be taking that first snap, and not him. But it was just one second. The orbiting death wasted no time showing why they were 4-1, and one. that reason being running back Jew Tweedy. At 6'9", 325 pounds, and with a 40-yard dash time of 3.6 seconds, John Tweedy's younger brother was a human wrecking ball. Add to those stats a few more. He had a vertical leap of 64 inches, could squat 1,500 pounds, and could knock out 47 reps on the standard 300-pound bench press test. 
Virac the Mean, Chodo the Bright, and, of course, John Tweedy, had been waiting weeks for this moment, waiting to show the league their medal. But Quentin wondered if they now wish they'd just stayed home. The three linebackers brought the house on every tackle, but through the first quarter, he had yet to see Jew knock backwards, even once. The Mad Jew, as he was called in the papers, rumbled into the hole, lowered his thick head like a medieval battering ram, and plowed forward with great pain and suffering to all those who stood in his way. Orbiting death quarterback Ganesha Fritz wasn't the greatest signal caller in the galaxy, but he provided exactly what the death needed. Short, accurate passes to keep the linebackers from constantly keying on Jew. The death utilized a simple strategy. Hold on to the ball, pass when the linebackers cheat up, and keep giving the rock to the mad Jew. By the end of the first quarter, Jew had racked up 52 yards on seven carries, with one phenomenal 12-yard touchdown run in which he broke tackle attempts by Maya Nicole at the line of scrimmage, John Tweedy at the nine, Chodo at the six, and Berea at the one. Well, Quentin couldn't exactly call that last one a, quote, broken tackle, unquote, because all Berea really did was get in front of Jew and then get her ass run over. That last hit drew roars of approval from the crowd and broke Berea's left leg. Tiburon filled the cornerback spot while Doc tended to the wounded Scalorno defender. They'll just keep pounding on him. Itzhak was referring to the linebacker's never-ending suicide assaults on Jew. He's got just one weakness. He can't hold on to the pellet. Quentin nodded at this wisdom, but wondered that if a fumble ever did occur, would there be anything left of Chodo, Virak, or John Tweedy to jump on it? Jew's performance seemed to inspire Mitchell Fayad, who ran like a man possessed. Fans of the running game were not disappointed by the Krakens versus the orbiting death. And it was a good thing that Fayette ran so well, because Donald Pine was simply not his usual self. By the end of the first quarter, the two-time champ, the king of the short passing game, was 5 for 12 for 27 yards. Quentin watched him, watched him carefully. Is he tanking or is he just playing like shit? Much to his own surprise, Quentin found himself trying to give Pine the benefit of the doubt, but his eyes told a completely different story. The Death's defensive secondary just didn't seem that impressive. Haywick and Scarborough looked open several times, but Pine's passes either fell short or were never thrown at all. With each possession, Quentin's anger grew. Possession number one, a run, one incomplete pass, a sack, three and out. Possession number two, sacked on third and long. Possession number three, two completions, three straight incompletions, punt. Possession number four, three straight completions, then an interception. Possession number five, two strong runs, then a sack and a fumble, death's ball. Jesus, three sacks already. Pine never gets sacks, and he never ever fumbles. We're in some deep shit, my friend. Quentin kept watching. If it was a tanked game, as soon as the death got up by two or maybe three scores, Pine would strike to keep it close. As the second quarter dragged on, the Mad Jew ripped off a 28-yard touchdown run, putting the death up 17 to nothing. Richfield returned the following kick to the Kraken's 12, but Quentin had only eyes for Pine. If he's tanking, he's going to come back strong this time. 
make it look good. Pine dropped back on the first snap. He planted. No busy feet this time. He stood tall in the pocket like a heroic statue. She's open! Itzhak's excited voice called to Quentin's right, but Quentin just watched Pine. A defensive lineman, the same one who already had two sacks, closed in, gathering up for a perfect blindside blast on Pine's back. Take him deep, Pine! Pine cocked back and let the ball fly. He didn't have Quentin's strength, but there was nothing weak in the throw. The ball shot downfield. But Quentin watched Pine. The lineman closed in, only a half second behind the throw, expanding violently for a blindside blast. Pine took one small step forward. The lineman shot past to fall in a clumsy sliding heap on the black grass. Pine, you motherfucking piece of shit! That same lineman, making that same blindside approach, had earlier racked up two sacks. Yet this time, Pine had slipped by as if he had eyes in the back of his head. Not eyes in the back of his head. He just knows where every player is at all times. After watching Pine up close and personal for six weeks, he knew the veteran was letting those sacks happen. Pine was so good, so unbelievably in control of his game, that he could choreograph a tanking without anyone suspecting. After all, what quarterback can dodge a blindside sack, right? Donald Pine. That's who. The crowd grew deeply as Haywick crossed the goal line for an 88-yard touchdown. Itzhak ran onto the field for the extra point as Pine ran off. Quinn's anger rose another 10 degrees. Then it popped, almost with an audible sound. Quentin met Pine at the sideline. Nice fucking pass, you piece of shit! Pine just nodded and kept walking towards the bench. Hey, motherfucker, I'm talking to you! Quentin grabbed Pine's shoulder and whipped him around. Pine's eyes went wide with surprise, then narrowed with anger. Leave me alone. You throw two more touchdowns and I'll leave you alone, you fucking coward! Quentin's finger pointed straight at Pine's nose. Other players turned to watch the confrontation. Shut up, kid. I got a game to play. Oh, a game. Oh, is that what you call it? Pine stepped forward, going chest to chest and nose to nose with Quentin. If you want to make a move, you make it now. Quentin cocked his left fist back and started to swing, but he was jerked away by strong human hands. His anger soared to a new level. He twisted and threw a hard left cross at his new foe. His fist smashed into Mitchell Fayad's jaw. Fayad's big head snapped back and to the left. He slowly turned his head back to look into Quentin's eyes, working his jaw from side to side. Are you finished, or do I have to hit you back? Quentin felt his anger seep away. His face felt scaldingly hot. Shit, Mitch, I'm sorry. I said, are you finished? Quentin nodded. Good. This is not the place for this behavior. Quentin, calm down. You're disturbing the team. Quentin nodded again. He had never felt so embarrassed. Once again, his temper had got the best of him. Maybe he could make it up to Fayed later. Then again, maybe not. He had just hit the man in front of 133,000 fans and probably another 3 billion watching at home. He walked down the sidelines, away from Pine. Anger returned, but this time it was a cold, calculating anger. Not now. Not now, Pine old kid. Not when we can climb back into the playoff hunt. I am not going to let this happen. Quentin had to think. 
He looked around the sidelines, searching for an answer. He couldn't tell Hokor. Not now. The coach wouldn't even believe him. And if he did believe him, Pine's career was over. Not to mention, when Greedak found out, probably his life. Quentin didn't know what he was looking for until he saw it. Shyat the Thick. The drug dealer. God damn. God damn, we might win this game after all. In the climate-ravaged world of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven. Pura is a geoengineered paradise that protects its fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. In a time when the world outside is unsafe, it's vital for Pura's existence that people rally behind the purpose of the city, and Demetria Lopez, head of the city's public relations, tirelessly promotes its idyllic image. But when she stumbles on a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she's willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Ray Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Greetings, adventurers. Today we're excited to introduce you to a new story, Dark Dice, a horror podcast that blurs the line between actual play and audio drama, where the story is determined by the role of the dice. Six adventurers embark on a journey into the ruinous domain of the Nameless God. They will never be the same again. One of the players is not what they seem after a doppelganger, a creature that can assume the form and voice of whatever it kills, infiltrates the team. As the players are picked off and replaced one at a time, can they figure out who the monster is before it's too late? Can you? Here's a quick example of what our show sounds like. The, uh, shambler with the jar of liquid inside of him. Soren Arkwright let loose an arrow that cracked the glass, passing through the spine of the creature. The shambler still managed to maintain its forward momentum, but stumbled as it eagerly tried to bite and swipe at Soren, landing near his feet. As Jeff Goldblum has now joined our cast, Dark Dice is available however you listen to podcasts. You want drugs now? We're in the middle of a game. What the fuck do you want Sleepy for? Just give it to me, Shyat. I know you've got it in your locker. I know you wouldn't let your shipment out of your sight. No, either you give me enough to knock a human out cold, or you and I are going to hook right fucking now. Shyat's eye went from clear to light translucent green. I would kill you, human. Maybe so, but if you and I go, I'll make sure I hurt you enough to keep you out of the game. And you don't want that today. Do you? Quentin gestured to Virak the Mean and Shoto the Bright. Both Quith warriors were on the training table. Doc and his staff tended to their wounds. Shoto's right pedipalp quivered sickeningly, even as he lay perfectly still on the table. The pedipalp looked broken, a very painful injury from what Quentin had heard. John Tweedy might have been hurt, but no one knew, because he stood in front of his locker, bashing his forehead into the metal grate. His tattoo scrolled nothing but gibberish. His lips were frozen in a permanent snarl, and tears of rage trickled down his cheeks. But I get to start the second half. You wouldn't do that to me. I haven't had a chance to play first string all year. Sure, you'll start. If you give me what I want. Shyat looked back at Quentin, and the eye slipped back to clear. I'll give you the drug. Quentin smiled a malicious smile. He was halfway home. Hokor worked the holo board, outlining a new defensive strategy designed to shut down the mad Jew. 
The defensive players, except for Virak and Shoto, crowded around the board, pointing excitedly and offering suggestions. The Krakens were down 17-7, yet the defense showed no sign of letting up. They couldn't wait to get back on the field and take another crack at Jew, especially John Tweedy. The human linebacker's eyes were as wide as wide could be, his nostrils flared in and out, and every word he spoke was a guttural scream. Hate you, hate you, hate you, hate you, scrolled across his sweaty forehead tattoo. He couldn't concentrate on it long enough to make a full message. John looked like a man infused with the living, hunting energy of an entire Special Forces platoon. Hokor had already finished with the offense. There wasn't much to talk about, really. Everyone knew that to get back in this game, Donald Pine had to stop getting sacked, start completing passes, and hold onto the ball. Everyone knew this, yet there wasn't one evil eye cast his way. Because the team knew that if it could be done, Don Pine would do it. And if Don Pine couldn't do it, well, then neither could anyone else. Pine was the kind of quarterback who could throw five interceptions in a game, yet never be pulled because his next three passes might hit for touchdowns. That, of course, was when he was trying. Pine sat in front of his locker, a portable holotank in front of him, reviewing defensive sets. Holding a water bottle, Quentin walked up and sat down. Pine glared at him with a look that combined hate and shame. You come to bitch me out some more, kid? Quentin shook his head. I came to apologize. Pine raised a suspicious eyebrow. Apologize? You? Quentin shrugged again. Look, you've got some shit to deal with. I shouldn't have lit into you on the field. We can talk about it later. He handed Pine the water bottle. It's a gesture of goodwill and compliance. Pine took it, his eyes never leaving Quentin's face. This isn't my choice, kid. I just want you to know that. I know, Quentin said, and walked away. Pine took a long drink from the water bottle, then turned back to the holotank. The orbiting death received the second half kickoff. Shoto the Bright lasted only three plays until he tried to arm tackle the Mad Jew. An arm tackle for a Quith warrior usually involved the pedipalp, the strongest limb on a warrior's body. Trying to take down Jew Tweedy with a broken pedipalp was a bad idea at best. Jew ripped through Chodo's valiant effort, leaving the Quith warrior writhing on the ground before being brought down ten yards later. Shy at the Thick ran out onto the field to take Chodo's place. Samuel Darkeye was Chodo's normal backup at outside linebacker, but Hokor needed Shyat's size to try and stop the mad Jew. The Kraken's D kept hammering at Jew, and Jew kept hammering back, yet the fumble fruit of his so-called slippery hands never seemed to materialize. At the end of the drive, to quite literally add insult to injury, Jew crossed the goal line with John Tweedy on his back. Extra point, good. Orbiting death 24, Ionath Krakens 7. Richfield returned the ensuing kickoff. The Krakens O took the field, starting from their own 34. Quentin watched carefully. He'd given Pine enough sleepy to knock out a key lineman. If he gave too much, the overdose could easily cause brain hemorrhaging. Quentin hoped that wouldn't happen, but he had a game to win. The huddle broke and Pine walked up to the line. He seemed to walk slower than normal. 
He looked around a few times, then shook his head violently and lined up under center. A handoff to Faye had picked up four yards. The team returned to the huddle, but Pine stayed where he was, staring down at the grass as if it was the most interesting thing in the known universe. A blast of anticipation adrenaline shot through Quentin's body. It was working. Faye had walked up to Pine, who continued to stare at the ground. A hurrah ref floated up to both humans. Pine stared at the Zeb as if he'd never seen such a thing before. A steady murmur burbled through the capacity crowd. Like most of the players, they wondered just what was going on. Pine turned to Fayette and said something. Fayette instantly signaled for a timeout. Barnes, get on the field! Let's go! Gwen followed Hokor onto the field. They both ran up to Fayette and Pine. What in the name of the mother of all is going on here? Hokor's fur fluffed up with anger. Um, I think that Pine was hit in the head or something. Hey, man. Pine smiled, never looking away from Fayette. I can see right into Fayette's brain, man. Right inside. Pine, Pine, snap out of it. Fayette is thinking about a ham sandwich. No, I'm not. I don't even like ham. Pine, are you okay? Oh, man, I'm fine. It's a ham sandwich with Texas muscle. Pine, you're going to have to sit out for a few plays. Hokor signaled to Doc for the med sled. But he says he's fine. You don't believe him? Doesn't matter if I believe him or not. Fayette, don't deny him, man. I can see your thoughts. But I'm not lying. I don't like mustard either. Hokor turned to Quentin. Okay, Barnes, it's up to you now. We need some points on the board. Just run, run the plays that are called. Yeah, coach, I know. Ham and you is a beautiful thing, Fayette. Don't fight your urges. Doc flew up to Pine, the med sled right behind him. Pine suddenly grew angry and pointed a finger into Fayette's face. You know how many pigs die every year? Their lives are like your conscience, swine eater. I already told you I don't like ham or mustard. Quentin sat Pine down the med sled. Get him out of here now, Doc. Doc led the sled off the field. Pine carefully watched the black grass and white markings go by. Quentin and Fayed walked back to the huddle. The team looked at him with a new expression, like I'm the savior. They think I can actually pull this one out. The thing was, he thought he could pull this one out. They'd spent a half game of futility and only had seven points to show for it. Quentin knew he needed to get these guys some momentum, and he needed to do it quick. All right, everybody, Pine's out and I'm in. And contrary to public opinion, I'm more than capable of filling his shoes. They've been blitzing all day, so let him come. We're going to go quarterback draw on two, on two. Just give him a good fit and then let him come by. The huddle seemed revived with electricity. Dive right to fan! Hokor called in his earpiece. Quentin nodded, then broke the huddle. Hokor's plays would just have to wait. Quentin knew what the team needed. They needed a burst of excitement, not a methodical ground game. Quentin surveyed the defense as he lined up behind center. He'd guessed right. They showed blitz all the way. Orbiting Death ran a 5-2, and both Quith linebackers leaned forward on all fours, weight on their arms. Red 21! Red 21! The linebackers leaned farther forward. Quinn had waited two more seconds to give the key linemen a chance to pick their targets. Hot, hot! The death linemen and linebackers surged forward with a metal plastic crash against their backpedaling offensive enemy. Quentin dropped back three steps, planted, then sprang forward. The blitzing defense didn't even have a chance to slow down before Quentin was past him, moving like a tall, strong whirlwind. His first five steps took him ten yards downfield, leaving seven defenders behind. The defensive backs reacted instantly, but the three-step drop 
had given Haywick and Scarborough a chance to move into blocking position. The two receivers danced with the safety and free safety that tried to avoid them. They weren't blocks by any means, but with Quentin's speed, they were more than enough for him to shoot past. Everything moved in slow motion, and Quentin suddenly saw every last detail the field had to offer. The left cornerback came from his right side. She dove for his legs. Quentin planted and spun outside, a whirling blur, the cornerback grasping only empty air as he straightened and moved downfield. The right cornerback closed on him, and he bounced outside. He saw everything. Her raspers hanging out just a bit from under her chin plate, her flat black uniform, flapping slightly with each powerful thrust of her long legs. She moved in and reached out. Quentin felt the blast of something primitive. His lip curled up of its own accord. He felt the strength of a supernova in his limbs. He switched the ball to his right hand and reached out with his left, grabbing the cornerback by her neck just as she tried to wrap around his waist. He squeezed and lifted. She was so light. Like a tribesman carrying a spear, he ran another five yards with her neck in his hand, her feet dangling uselessly, her eye stalks showing sudden pain and fear. He casually tossed her away, as one might discard an apple core. She flew through the air, landing heavily on her head, tumbling in a rolling heap. He felt something grab at his back and try and pull him down. The extra weight slowed him, but only for a second. His legs pumped with the power of an entire universe. The weight fell away, and he was once again free. He distantly heard the roaring of the crowd, a faraway noise that was none of his concern. He crossed the goal line, and the world blinked back to real time with a rush of deafening sound. He tossed the ball to the floating hurrah ref, then knelt and plucked a few blades of black grass. He sniffed deeply. Smelled like a sappy pine tree. Haywick and Scarborough arrived suddenly and left on him hard enough to knock him over. Touchdown Kraken, 62-yard run by Quentin Barnes. Quentin laughed and pushed aside Haywick and Scarborough. He stood, only to be knocked down again, this time by Fayette and the tight end Kobayashi. That was an excellent run, a much better use of energy than punching me in the face. Quentin managed to stand amidst the friendly but hard slaps to his head and shoulder pads. He ran to the sidelines and was engulfed by his teammates. They seemed energized, as if they were up by four touchdowns instead of down 21 to 14. Burns! Hokor screamed in his headset. What was that? I called a dive! Sorry, coach. I thought you said quarterback draw. You dirty, lying human! Run the plays that I call! Yes, coach. Gotcha. The long touchdown run was like the harbinger of doom for the orbiting death. Just two plays later, John Tweedy came free in a linebacker stunt and put the first really solid hit on his brother, Jew. The ball popped free, wobbled on the ground, where Shyat the Thick smothered it. The death had the lead, but something intangible had changed hands. After a pair of short passes to Kobayashi, Faye had scored on a 15-yard run to cut the lead to 21-24. In the fourth quarter, Quentin dissected the death secondary, as a new pine should have done hitting for two touchdown passes, both to Scarborough. Jew fumbled one more time, setting up the second touchdown strike to Scarborough, but the wrecking ball running back couldn't be completely stopped. He scored on a long 44-yard run that left John Tweedy on his ass 
and put Shea on the sidelines for the rest of the game. When the final gun sounded, Quentin had led the Krakens to a 35-31 win. 28 of those points coming in the second half. There was a noticeable difference between a 1-2 and locker room and a 4-2 and locker room. Players laughed and joked and shouted. The Pioneers had lost again, were now 4-2, and and still had two games to go without their star quarterback. The Glory Warpigs had soundly whipped the Woo Wall Crawlers 24-6 to move to five wins, one loss. The Krakens were now only one game out of first and still had to go head-to-head with the Pigs in Week 8. A conference title was no longer a fantasy. They were three wins, their own, and one loss by the Pioneers, away from winning the championship outright. Every human took their turn coming up to Quentin and giving their respects. You're a stonebred bitch, Quentin! John Tweedy shouted, hugging Quentin with his powerful arms. That was a huge comeback, kid! Itzok's grin was massive and he tussled Quentin's hair as if Quentin were a little boy. Quentin pushed Itzok's hand away but laughed right along with him. Everyone wanted to congratulate him. Everyone, it seemed except Donald Pine. Pine's ham sandwich fixated buzz had worn off just as the fourth quarter ended. He sat alone in front of his locker, still dressed in his soiled uniform, his head hanging in his hands. Quentin felt a pang of pity for the man, but he chased that thought away. Pine had made his own bed, and if sleeping in it sucked balls, then that was the breaks. Quentin had kept the secret, and even that was more than Don Pine deserved. And in the end, it didn't matter. The Krakens were 4-2 and two and almost, almost in control of their own destiny. Week 6 League Roundup, courtesy of Galaxy Sports Network. The quith irradiated conference standing saw a major shakeup this week. The Ionith Krakens, 4-2, crawled another thin notch higher in the standings with a 35-31 upset win over Orbiting Death, 4-2. The Krakens continue to show no continuity at quarterback as this week veteran Donald Pine was ineffective while rookie backup Quentin Barnes led the team to a come-from-behind win. The Wittock Pioneers, 4-2, seem to be walking away with the conference title. But without star quarterback Condor Adrian, they lost their second straight game, this time 24-8 to the Grontac Hydras, 3-3. First place now belongs solely to the Glory Warpicks 5-1, who thrashed the Wu Wall Crawlers 1-5 by a score of 35-3. The Sheb Stalkers 4-2 remained in contention with a key 17-14 win over the Big Diggers 2-4. Arkham All-Pro cornerback for the Diggers notched her 10th and 11th interceptions of the season. She leads the Quith Irradiated in interceptions for the season, well ahead of the Warpigs' Tayanaka, who has eight picks so far this year. Sky Demolition 0-6 still can't find a win, this time losing 32-10 to the Quith Survivors 3-3. Deaths. Shock Atalo, offensive guard for the Quith Survivors, was killed on an illegal hit by Yala the Biter. Yala has been suspended for two games. Week 6 Players of the Week. Offense, St. Petersburg, wide receiver, Glory Warpigs hauled in 12 catches for 162 receiving yards and 3 TDs. Defense, 
Kaidiara Lomax, linebacker, big diggers, nine tackles, one interception. have been listening to The Rookie, book one of the Galactic Football League series. Produced by Ariok Morningstar with post-production by Steve Rickyberg. Written and performed by Scott Sigler. For more information on the author and more free stories, go to scottsigler.com. Theme music is the song The Kids Are Coming For You by the band Superweapon, superweaponband.com. Every five minutes, a transplant candidate dies while waiting for a compatible heart, liver, or kidney. Imagine a technology that could provide those life-saving transplant organs for a high price, and imagine what a company would do to monopolize that technology. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists unlocks this holy grail of medicine by reverse engineering the genomes of all mammals, creating an animal with organs perfectly suitable for human transplantation. They envisioned a docile herd animal, but one team member had another, darker vision. This ancestor is anything but docile. The team's work spawns something big, something evil, something very, very hungry. Ancestor is a complete serialized fiction podcast by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler with all episodes available. Binge the entire story now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts.